Welcome to Lectionary Bites, a podcast for the busy pastor, the bogged down student, and the curious biblical scholar. Each short episode features different professors and students from Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, narrowing in on an insight or two from the assigned scripture readings from the week. We hope these bites can support your sermon prep, spark new ideas and connections, and help you meditate on God's word throughout your busy week. Lectionary Bites is brought to you by the Hasi Library on the campus of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. The Hasi Library, inspiring theological discovery. Hello, and welcome to the Lectionary Bites podcast. I'm Luke Olowski and a fourth-year seminarian. I'll be sticking around next year for an STM. I have here with me Eric Hart. Why don't you introduce yourself, your year in seminary, where you, where you'll be called, so on and so forth. Yeah, thanks, Luke. So like uh, Luke said, my name is Eric Hart. I'm a fourth-year seminarian as well, so classmates with Luke. And yeah, I just received a call, actually, to the Lutheran Church of St. Luke in Itasca, Illinois. It's a suburb of Chicago. So I'll be being ordained and installed on June 12th. Very good. Okay, so today we'll be looking at the epistle reading for Trinity Sunday for our current three-year lectionary, Year C. This year, Trinity Sunday falls on June 12th, 2022. Because of this, the readings you find will show evidence of God's Trinitarian nature and work throughout the Old Testament and in Jesus's words in the New Testament and someone named Peter, who sums up the action of the Trinity throughout history. The reading we're focusing on in particular is Acts chapter 2, verses 14, and then it skips ahead to verses 22 through 36. So this passage is most of Peter's sermon at Pentecost, likely just chopped up a little bit for ease of length. So first, I wanted to begin by inviting Eric to read the passage for our audience. So Acts chapter 2, verses 14 and 22 through 26. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, 
The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So Luke, why don't you tell us a little bit about this passage? Introduce it for our audience. Yeah, sure thing. So this passage begins as Peter addresses those who are present there in Judea and Jerusalem. And he's explaining the meaning of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost that they're all bearing witness to right now. The lectionary then skips over a quotation from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, where God talks about pouring out his spirit on all flesh so that people prophesy. Moreover, there are wonders in the heavens and earth to foreshadow the coming of the day of the Lord in that prophecy. Peter interprets this prophecy about mighty wonders to be about Jesus of Nazareth. So Peter calls out the crowd, talking about how they were responsible for killing Jesus. But despite that, it was all in accord with God's plan. And so when they crucified Jesus, God raised him up. Peter then goes back to the Hebrew scriptures once again, namely to Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. Peter says that David is talking about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. David's not merely talking about himself. He's dead and remains dead. Peter and the other apostles are all witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. Because Jesus was raised up and exalted, he received the Holy Spirit in his humanity, right, because he already had it in his nature, and poured out the Holy Spirit on the people of Judea. Peter attests to this once again in another quotation from the Old Testament, Psalm 110, verse 1. He understands this to be talking about Jesus being Lord and Christ. So, As a result of Peter's sermon, this goes a little after our text, those in Judea and Jerusalem are cut to the heart. They're then exhorted to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. All right, Luke, like you mentioned earlier, this is a pretty long pericope and it's actually cut up a little bit to accommodate the length of it. And admittedly, there's a lot that the preacher could focus on in a sermon. What insights did you find specifically for maybe preaching or for teaching in this theologically rich passage? Yeah, that's a very good question. And I was thinking about that, especially through the lens of this occasion for the text, especially Trinity Sunday. This is a rich text, and there's a lot that you could focus on here. And it's because of the occasion, though, that I want to narrow on the focus of the Trinity. In particular, I think it'd be good occasion here to include those verses from Joel, or that quotation, which are from verses 15 through 21 in our text, and perhaps a few verses after through verse 41. And it allows you to focus on an aspect of salvation that you might not hear about so much, namely focus on the Holy Spirit and his work, just to include all three persons in this text we have for today. So naturally, given Peter's context, though, what he's focused on most throughout this sermon is pointing to the same person of God that the Holy Spirit is, namely Jesus. So what he's talking about most often is the person and work of Christ. But I say this passage also helps us to focus on the person and work of each person of the Trinity. And it's great for showing how the three persons of the Trinity are working together to accomplish our salvation. And so there's two fundamental basic tracks I could see a pastor working through or operating in this text. You might begin, for example, first of all, by talking about the distinct roles that each person has in the Trinity. So starting with the Father, for example, you could talk about how he pours out his spirit on you and me. 
who could focus on the Father's foreknowledge and plan in permitting Jesus to be delivered up so that no one could thwart it. You could talk about the Father's promise to David to set his son on the throne, take that more prophetic approach from the Old Testament, but then the Father planned to raise up Jesus and have him at his right hand and share in his authority. The Father gives Jesus the Holy Spirit in his human nature so that you and I have the Holy Spirit too. So that's focusing on things through the Father, but you could also focus on the Son's work for sure. So David was promised the descendant of Jesus, right? And he's going to sit on the throne of God. You could also talk about Jesus sending out the Spirit. You could talk about Jesus as the intended sacrifice of the Father, picking up a more atonement-type theme. And then through the baptism of Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. And you could also focus on the work of the Holy Spirit and see how the rest of the Trinity plays out in his work. So he's the one that Christ has poured out on all these people. It's by his power that they're prophesying and now have the power of tongues. Before Pentecost, the Holy Spirit bestowed salvation and some gifts, right? We don't deny that people weren't saved before the time of Jesus. But now the Holy Spirit is filling his church with his powers and gifts through his own presence. And so as a result, the church spreads throughout the world, not just in Judea and Jerusalem. Now, I've been focusing a lot on the distinct roles for each person in the Trinity, but alternatively, you could stress the unity of all the Trinitarian persons too. As you might note, looking throughout this text, God's name is used quite frequently in this passage. And I don't think we always need to read it exclusively as referring to the Father. And so in going this route, you could talk about the same divine will, plan, and action of God that brings about our salvation. Yeah, great insights there, Luke. Thank you. I like especially how you focus on the Trinity's work of salvation. I think that's something maybe we don't focus on enough in the church, especially in preaching. We tend to preach a lot about Christ, as we certainly should do in proclamation. But yeah, we tend to forget to also preach about the Holy Spirit and his work as well. So any other insights you found from this text? I mean, you've given us a lot of great insights and anything else you saw as you were studying this text. Yeah, so obviously that was quite the uh, large breadth of different topics that you could delve further into with this text. I thought there were certain ways you could narrow in on, focus on, or at least some of the things that I was noticing. So for a sermon, you might begin by talking about the one salvific will of God, the one God, then delineate how that will plays out in the three different persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or you might talk about the unique role that each person of the Trinity has. Either way, this text serves as a great opportunity to talk about why the Trinity is important in terms of God's will to save you and me. You can talk about this salvation of the Trinity through the promise God gave to David, through God's eternal plan, even despite human rebellion. Now, as I was reading through this text, though, I also considered the possibility, depending on your own context, whether the sermon would have to address the question of the Holy Spirit's work today. Perhaps it might require a brief excursus just to say that the Holy Spirit definitely still works in the lives of his saints today, most definitely, most certainly, through the word and sacraments where God has promised to work. Now, the Apostle Paul has warned us that prophecies, miracles, and wonders do cease. And though there are places around the world, it seems, where the gospel comes to a new place, and we see those miraculous gifts pop up back again for a time. So those are the, some of the things that I was focusing in on for uh, this text 
Great. Thank you, Luke. A lot of great insights, um, especially for this Trinity Sunday, where maybe the preacher would feel a little bit overwhelmed as, as to how to preach on the Trinity and also on a text as theologically, theologically rich as this one. As we, as we close our time here today, as, and as people might be working through this text and looking on how to preach on it, could you just share maybe a couple of helpful resources that you found as you were studying this text from Acts? Sure thing, Eric. So some of the commentaries I had looked at uh, for further like in-depth exegetical arg- uh, arguments and understanding would be the exegetical commentary by Craig Keener. He does a lot of thorough study on Acts. His work on Acts is actually four volumes. So if there's an exegetical question you need an answer to, I would definitely recommend his work. Yeah, I've seen those four volumes in the library. They are huge. Exactly. The Acts Commentary by Dara Bach has a solid running commentary throughout the whole book. And I always like to consult the ACCS commentaries, the Ancient Christian Commentaries on Scripture. Because if you're looking for a fresh approach to a text, I definitely recommend looking at that. It gives you new ways to think through and look at the biblical texts. They're very much concerned with teachings and readings through dogma of the text. And I think that's just very much appropriate for Trinity Sunday. Lenski's commentaries, of course, always a go-to for me. I've always appreciated his blend of theology, dogmatics, also along with exegesis. And similar thing with Robert Smith's Concordia commentary on Acts. So those are all the resources I would suggest. There's a lot, of course, that's in this text that I think would probably be very good for a sermon, would work well for a sermon. I don't know how well you could fit it in for this focus that we have for Trinity Sunday. So just to mention a few things here, just as much as I can, you might focus on themes like death and hell or Hades, because those are talked about here. You could talk about prophetic fulfillment. You could develop a ruler metaphor throughout the sermon with the Psalm 110 quotation, the Lord said to my Lord, and I know this sounds kind of funny, but I did really think about developing the Gainus Maestaticum idea in this passage. Now, that might be some ivory tower theology you might have forgotten about or whatnot, but this is actually very good for explaining what's going on in this passage. Because in verse 36, Peter says that God has made Jesus Lord and Christ. So to take that verse seriously, that Jesus, the eternal son of God, is made Lord and Christ, you're dependent on the Gainus Maestaticum to understand that passage. But those are the main things that I left out that I wouldn't necessarily probably focus on for Trinity Sunday. And so with that, uh, I just want to thank you for listening to this podcast on Acts chapter 2, verses 14 and 22 through 36 for Trinity Sunday. I'm Luke. I'm Eric. Signing out. If you enjoyed Lectionary Bites, be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Facebook so that you don't miss a single episode. This podcast is brought to you by the Hasse Library on the campus of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. The Hasse Library, inspiring theological discovery.